0: You're listening to the Youth for Life podcast with Michelle Baum, director of Why for Life at Lutherans for Life, where we prepare youth to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Be sure to stick around after today's live recording of our Chats for Life program to find out how you can be live, too, on our next Youth for Life podcast. Okay, so what about vaccines? How is a vaccine made? Um, Some probably, some of you, especially in the medical field or learning about the medical field are going to know some of these things already. Um, But let's just do a brief overview so so everybody's on the same page. So the first thing you need when you're going to make a vaccine is you need a virus sample. Now, this is collected usually from someone, well, it has to be from someone who's actually sick with the virus. You see, a virus cannot live, for the most part, without a, without a host, okay, without fetal um, or without tissue to grow on. So um, you, have to, you have to collect that sample, and you have to make sure that it stays alive in your lab. And then you choose a host. In order to um, propagate vaccine antigens, all right, viruses then need to be attached to one of two cells, an animal cell or a human cell, because again, it cannot grow without tissue. Once you've attached it to a cell, that virus then kind of hijacks the cell. It hijacks the, the, the machinery of the cell, the things that cause the cell to grow and to reproduce. And viruses are very good at that. They're very good at uh, taking over a cell and then reproducing cells or virus cells of their own kind. Okay, and that's why a virus makes us sick because we don't have the antibodies, enough antibodies usually to fight those viruses. Okay, because they're just producing so quickly. So you um, place them in a cell, you let them grow, And then what you do next is called attenuation. So a researcher will then take this cell that's infected with the virus and that virus will pass through a cell line or a number of cell lines a number of times. So every time the virus passes through a cell line and then we take it and we pass it through another time, it gets weaker, weaker and weaker until either it is so weak that it is, incapacitated or, as Christian mentioned, it's dead. Yes, Pastor?
1: I just wanted to uh, say that, that, that as I've been reading um, on this attenuation process, Michelle, um, viruses tend, um, as they attack the body, uh, work within the temperature uh, gradient of uh, that our body operates in. And that's where they, um, you know, they, they do their best work. In this attenuation process, I'm noticing that they are lowering the temperature of the cells that these viruses are reproducing in so that the virus gets used to reproducing in a lower temperature environment. And then it can't work as efficiently or effectively when it is introduced into the human host at the normal temperature.
0: Yeah, and, and they do lower that. Um, in fact, we'll find out that they don't just lower those, the the virus, but also um, the, the cells themselves, right? The cell lines, so to preserve them even. So then once you have this weakened form or this dead form of the virus, it is then put into a serum that is used for testing. So you have volunteers that will say, hey, I'll, I'll be a test person for this virus, okay? And um, it will be tested on a number of people. They'll record the side effects of it. They'll record whether or not someone gets sick. And of course, if someone is sick with it, these tests can see if um, antibodies then are formed in the person who's received the test. If antibodies are formed, then the virus is working. And once the virus is working, inoculation begins. So that's when um, we as a nation decide, or we offer this to, to others. So either we decide this is a serious enough virus that everybody needs to be inoculated at birth or when kids are young, or um, you know sometimes vaccines are given to you via shots or are breathed in. So there are some that we encourage people to get or maybe the country encourages people to get throughout their life, like the yearly flu vaccine. So inoculation is when that test is over and we're ready to distribute it in mass quantities. Now this whole process takes more than a year. A year is kind of the lowest end. So then um, let's talk about how does a cell line come to be then. I mentioned cell lines, right? You have to pass those viruses uh, through cell lines so it becomes attenuated. So how does a cell line come to be? Well, um, they have to, first of all, find a cell type that works for that virus. And there are really only two options, animal or human. Unfortunately, viruses, and of course, when we talk about human life, it's not that we want to destroy animal life, but when we talk about human life, we can very honestly say that human life is more valuable than animal life, right? When we look back at creation, we see that God um, saves the pinnacle of his creation, man for, for the end, right? Um, so we want to treat animals well, but at the same time, if it's a choice between using an animal cell or a fetal cell, um, then the answer is very clear. Now, some viruses do not grow in animal cells, and so you need human cells. And you, so you have a, a few options. You have um, adult cells. Unfortunately, sometimes adult cells will bring with them microbes. Or other, other difficulties, other genetic difficulties um, that, that maybe aren't, the cells aren't what they would call as clean as, as maybe cells from a child, okay, that hasn't been introduced to all these different viruses in their life. So what happens is once they find a cell that, that works is they, they do a number of things to it. And on your screen, you can see they mince up that tissue, They cut it into very small pieces, and then they treat that tissue with an enzyme solution to preserve it and to help um, the cells continue to grow. And then it's put through a a, a centrifuge, okay, a series of separations. So they divide their cells into single individual cells where they then nourish those individual cells in a serum they create subcultures to multiply those cells. So they then grow those cells, whether they be human or animal, and um, cause them to reproduce. And that's how you get a cell line. And cell lines can last for a long time. They can last for decades. They can last for generations if you have a healthy cell line. And they can continue to, to reproduce so that you can use them for future experiments. Of course when you're using human cell lines, you have some ethical issues, right? And some of you have already mentioned some of those ethical issues. Uh, one is when you're using aborted fetuses. So um, to take a look at, at when abortion started to be used in research, you have to go back to the 1930s. In 1936, we have a record. Actually, 1922, uh, there was a law passed that allowed, uh, the, allowed for eugenics to take place, and I know for those of you who were here uh, for our abortion conversation, Pastor Duncan talked about uh, some of those changes um, in our nation when we embraced. well, some people embraced the idea of, of eugenics. That happened in 1922, so by 1936, we actually have some abortions that are happening because of eugenics. They are done specifically for medical research. Um, We have records actually from abortionists who, uh, and this information is on a website called Children of God for Life, Children of God for Life. It's a great website and I'll pull it up later. But they actually have records that have been taken out of of annals um, that researchers have written. Um, And one of them, for example, there's an abortionist that records that he took a child's brain spinal cord, lungs, kidneys, liver, and spleen. And he removed them and stored them in a refrigerator for further research. Um, Shortly after that, we have another doctor recording that babies from 2.5 to five months old or two and a half to five months old um, are actually taken out of the mother, preferably in the amniotic sac. um, And then they they are delivered to the virus laboratory with their hearts still beating. So when they are used, okay, when they are first um, dissected, they're they're actually alive. We also have another record of an abortionist that repeatedly takes 12 to 18 week old babies, again delivers them in the amniotic sac, and then um, delivers them to the researchers. Uh, the quote says, "Whenever possible, the embryo was removed from the amniotic sac, transferred to a sterile towel." And kept at five degrees Celsius until dissected. So you can see that this happens very early on um, after the eugenics movement kind of takes hold in America and we have people starting to experiment on fetal tissue. Now the cell lines that are used today are not from that early and they probably can't be um, and there there's a reason for that. I'll explain that in a little bit as far as the health of of those cells. But there are two main lines that are used in a lot of our vaccines today, and that's WI38 and MRC5. And if you get a vaccine and you look at the label, it will actually be, it shows you on the label what strain, what cell strain is in this vaccine. Okay, so we'll take a look at WI38 first. So the reason it has WI in the first uh, section, is because it was developed at the Wistar Institute in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it was developed by a doctor, Dr. Leonard Hayflick. Um, the number 38 means that the specimen is number 38. So in this specific pursuit, there were 37 abortions done before the 38 actually worked. Okay, um, now the 32nd abortion is what he took some of this, some of, from what I understand, where he also got some material from. But it's the 38th trial. Now, um, sadly, Leonard Hayflick was uh, working in America and he actually developed WI number one through WI number tw- 25. So this is, um, these are 25 cell lines. Um, that were produced by Dr. Hayflick before he actually got to this one. And he had placed them in his refrigerator and his refrigerator stopped working. And so he needed more aborted babies. So he contacted Sweden. And, and WI-38 is actually from a little girl uh, that, was, that should have been born in Sweden. She was 14 weeks old when she was aborted in July of 1962. There was no medical condition that caused this abortion. Um, The parents actually just felt that they had too many children. Um, Sadly enough, these these parents are still married. Um, A couple of the articles I read said that they are living in Stockholm. And whenever um, a child is used to create a cell line, they have to keep track of those families so that they know Um, what possible long-term issues might occur in the genetic line. And so, you know, um, again, they want healthy specimens, so they keep track of those parents so that they can determine if they should keep using that cell line. Um, Her lungs were harvested within five minutes of her death, and um, it is still, again, like I said, used today. It's used in the adenovirus, which is... um, A acute respiratory illness. So a lot of us, we probably haven't heard of that before um, because of the vaccination. Uh, It's also used in the chickenpox vaccine. It's used in the measles and mumps, rubella vaccine, as well as some shingles vaccines. Um, 67 abortions were needed just to collect the virus itself. So if you add the 67 abortions to the 32 abortions plus the 38 cell lines, you have a lot of babies that were sacrificed for this one cell line that we continue to use, which is, again, very, very sad. The MRC5 uh, was another cell, is another cell line that we use in a lot of our vaccines today. It was developed by three British researchers under the Medical Research Council in England, you can see from my notes that it was a baby that was, should have been born in the UK um, and was 14 weeks old in 1966 when the baby was aborted. The baby was aborted because the mother, who was 27 years old, had some mental health concerns. And so they took that child and his lung tissue also was collected. Now, this child is different from the wi 38 child or cell strain because this one actually was purposely chosen for vaccine development. Um, they, they would have talked to the mother about this and encouraged her to uh, give the child for the scientific research that would happen. MRC-5 is still used today. It is used in a lot of different um, vaccines. So it's used in polio, chickenpox, hepatitis A and B, typhoid, mumps, rubella, polio, rabies, shingles, and smallpox. Again, these two lines we use the most, but these aren't the only two lines that exist in the United States. And there are lots of reasons for that. Uh, One of those reasons is that very often um, there's a fear that cell lines will die. Because like in any individual, cells do die, right? And um, actually over time, we've found that cells have a tendency to stop reproducing at a certain age and, very, and um, the idea is called the Hayflick limit. Now you remember Leonard Hayflick is the first person to kind of create this, this cell line and this vaccine, WI38. What he, what he hypothesized, and it seems to be true, is that cells will only reproduce as long as that life would have been living, okay? So you can see WI38 is getting old, MRC-5 is getting old. So what are we going to do when those no longer reproduce? Well, um, we have a whole lot of of strains as backup uses and actually are being used for different things. So how should a Christian respond to vaccines? First of all, we know abortion is always wrong, right? Uh, Whether it's for mental health concern or whether it's because your family is too big, abortion is always wrong. We see that when we use abortions to create, we use fetal cells to create um, cell lines, then we have some consequences. Now, I'm going to stop sharing my screen right now, and I want you to brainstorm with me, what do you think some of the consequences are for using aborted fetuses to create cell lines? What do you guys think? I think it creates an incentive to have more aborted fetuses. Absolutely, right? Um, The truth is you don't have to use fetal, aborted fetal cells. You can use cells from um, the the umbilical cord. You can use cells from adult stem cells. You can use other animals. You can use cells from blood that you have drawn um, from the placenta. These are all cells that you can draw from, even from a fetus without killing the fetus, without killing the baby, right? But when um, with abortion so prevalent and babies being able to be used on a regular basis, right? You do have that incentive, you have lots of possibilities and then you have a money issue, right? An unethical relationship between doctors or abortionists and researchers, good. What other ethical issues do you have when we use aborted fetal cells?
2: You're creating a market for them, and right. you're creating a, a need for them. If no one wanted aborted babies, then there would be a lot less reason to go get abortions if there wasn't like, a need for aborted cells.
0: And perhaps a lot fewer ways for an abortion clinic to make money off of those, right? And officially, they can't make money off of the cell of fetal tissue. And yet how many of you saw the 2015 undercover abortion clinic research videos did any of you see those if not go to liveaction.com and they will have some of those videos that you can follow Um, and and it's very clear that even though the law says they're not supposed to be making money off of that there is some very unethical behavior going on now not making money doesn't mean that they can't pay for the transport and keeping of the the tissue and that sort of thing but it's clear that it's gone way beyond that. Uh, what other ethical issues do you guys see with this?
3: Well, I think on a personal level, I always assumed that the vaccines that were used from fe- aborted fetal cell lines were the, the kind of optional ones. But basically the idea that there's lives that it can save now because measles, mumps, and rubella are all horrible diseases. Pretty tremendous. yes. Um, but can you use a vaccine that involves an aborted fetal cell line to save lives now since the abortion
0: already happened? Right. So you have you have an ethical issue. And actually, hang on to that thought, because we're going to talk about some other options that we have, um, because there actually are some other options, which is very, very exciting for us. Um, and, and now that you know, uh, you can employ them. But you're right, probably your parents didn't know. I didn't know when my children were vaccinated that they were using aborted fetal cells. I'm sure my parents didn't know that.
2: And personally, I'd say that if if you don't know that and you don't know of an alternative or something, I wouldn't say that it's wrong because technically you're still getting it to prevent more lives from being taken or, or mm-hmm. hindered in some way. So I'd say that it wouldn't be wrong unless you know you have another option and you like specifically choose not to use that other option. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely
0: going to talk about that toward the end of our presentation, because there, there are some things called sins of omission and sins of commission. And we definitely know that even if there was a sin, we are forgiven, right? That Jesus died for that sin, too. And we are certainly forgiven for that. So, yes, keep, keep thinking about that. And we're going to discuss it even more. Okay, what about pain and suffering? Do you think that a baby experiences pain and suffering when it's aborted? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, if we look at when those nerve endings begin to form, if we look at how far a baby has progressed, I mean, again, um, fetuses that are taken are pretty late in that first term. And sometimes in the second term, they definitely have feeling. Okay. So there's an issue of, of pain and suffering, um, an issue of lack of consent. Now guys, some of you, um, I know are interested in what about this argument in the secular world right because we can have this argument among christians and we have a very firm ethical foundation but in the secular world um, can you sacrifice a life and do so without consent can you randomly inoculate someone without their consent or take a body part without their consent you can't and in an abortion not only is a body part taken but the entire body is is killed, right? Whose cells are those cells? WI-38, whose cells are those cells? It's that 14 week old girl, right? It's her cells and we didn't get permission to use them. So there are some very, very even logical ethical reasons. So um, we have those ungodly partnerships, which you guys mentioned between uh, researchers and um, abortionists science fields that are created uh, based on something very immoral. Pain and suffering, we mentioned, for the child. Um, And then, of course, we aren't even taking into account the pain and suffering that the mother might receive. And knowing, again, after her abortion, not only did she have an abortion, but that, that her baby's cells were actually, they, they were caused to continue to grow and to live. Lack of consent, I mentioned. The Hayflick limit, okay? And I mentioned that earlier, that cells can only live so long. So if cells can only live so long, then we're going to have to have replacement cells, right? Which means that new cell lines have to continue being made. And they have been made. HEK-293 is one of the new cell nines. It was made in 1972 from a 16 week old Dutch girl after 390, I'm sorry, 293 trials. That's a lot of dust. IMR-90, which is, was uh, established in the 1990s, is also from a Dutch baby girl um, at 16 weeks. IMR-91 and PERC-6 is being used. The PERC6, they didn't even record the gender of the baby. The baby was 18 weeks old though, and its retina cells were used in 1985 to create this new cell line. Walvaz, W-A-L-V-A-Z-2 was was created in 2015 by a little Chinese girl, um, a Chinese 12 week old. So these vaccines are currently being used to test for Ebola, HIV, malaria, and in some cases, influenza. So again, they continue to be made. And I guess the last thing that I just I wanna emphasize is that when we use these, we, um, we make it socially acceptable. We continue to say, yeah, this is okay, right? But again, the truth is that it's not necessary. I mentioned that you could use placentas, umbilical cords. You can also use amniotic fluid. The cells in the amniotic fluid Um, to create these cell lines that can be used to create vaccines. So those are options. They've also created vaccines using uh, adult skin cells. Some of those cells can be made to be pluripotent, which means plurimany and potent. They can be transformed into many different things, so many different options for use. Uh, cells usually have like a specific use, right? You have a cell that's going to make contribute to your retina or contribute to the creation of your liver or those sorts of things. Pluripotent means that it can do a number of different things. So they've created pluripotent stem cells from adult skin cells. Um, They've also used animal cells from monkey, rabbit, chicken, and hamster, okay, Um, and have created some vaccines using those cells and those cell lines are being reproduced. They've also recently created a cell line using insects, one using a caterpillar, which I find very interesting. So there are other options. So um, we don't want alternatives to be overlooked. We want to to put our money into um, alternatives rather than using fetal tissue. So what about vaccines is good? Again, it's an ethical issue and there are some bad things, but there are also some good things about vaccines. Vaccines can support life, right? It protects one chi- one's child, it prevents disease, we know that, that measles, mumps, and rubella, these are serious diseases, and it's good to prevent um, those diseases in our children. It's good to ease pain and suffering. These are good and godly things. Uh, it's good to uphold and prolong life if we can, um, because life is a gift. Also, vaccines protect one's community so they prevent the spread of disease. Um, I think that we're seeing that right now with COVID-19, how it is a good and godly to try and prevent that spread. Um, so vaccines can be a God-pleasing choice if they are used correctly. Now, we should know that a lot of you threw out the term anti-vaxxer at the beginning of our meeting tonight, and definitely there are those who have decided not to to vaccinate at all. On average, across the United States, 92% of all kindergartners come into school with vaccinations. But there are pockets in America where that percentage is much lower. So like out in Pennsylvania, in California, some areas in California, some areas in Oregon, a lot of times in the Jewish communities, you'll see vaccination rates um, drop and 15% or more of of the children going to school aren't vaccinated. And so then when you do have a measles outbreak, like we did in America in 2015, in association with Disney World that outbreak does spread much faster and it does um, harm lives. In addition, if we vaccinate, there are some diseases that can kind of disappear. We no longer vaccinate for smallpox because smallpox has not been in America for so many years and around the world. But as we, again, maybe make those choices, we, we, do, we do take risks. So we know, like all things, vaccines are embroiled in sin. So there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Does anybody know what those things mean, sin of commission and sin of omission? I bet we have a couple.
2: What I've heard that omission means is when you commit a sin by not doing something. Yep, it's when
0: we fail to do what we should. That's a sin of omission. Um, What's a sin of commission then?
3: When we do something we shouldn't.
0: That's yes, right. The things we think we say or do that we shouldn't do. And certainly vaccines fall into both of these areas, right? We may have used a vaccine that had a fetal tissue in it, and we didn't know it. Or we may have not spoken about this information when we did know it. And we could have shared that information. And and that would be a sin of omission because we know God values all life, but there are also sins of commission, right? And certainly if you know that the vaccine has a aborted fetal tissue in it, and you know, there's an alternative, but you choose to go with the vaccine that has aborted fetal tissue, would we call that a sin of commission? Yeah. Yeah, we would, right? at the same time, we do know that these sins are forgiven, right? And um, we have, I have a chart that I'm going to share with you in just a few minutes that actually shows you all of these different vaccines, and whether there are alternatives. And I will send a copy of that chart to you. I got it off of Children of God for Life, that website, because they keep up with it. Like that's their whole focus, to keep up on vaccines. And the truth is, there are a couple of vaccines that have no other option. The only one you can use is at this point, one that has fetal tissue in it. You as a Christian are going to have to kind of make that decision whether you're going to use that vaccine or not use that vaccine. I think where Lutherans for life would probably fall and I think where most Christians fall is that we would say it is morally permissible when absolutely necessary and the intent is to protect life and preserve life rather than destroy life to use a vaccine that is that is necessary. But as Christians, we want to do everything possible to make it unnecessary, right? So what are some things that you think we could do or we should do to, to ensure that? What do you guys think?
3: Well, I think one of the big things would be talking about it because people don't know about it because they just don't really think yeah. about it and you're just getting your shots or whatever. And also like asking your doctor too, when you're getting vaccines, like, oh, where did this come from? So that they're aware that people care about it and where yeah. they're made. Yeah. Reach out to pharmaceutical companies and let them know that that's a problem. Say, mm-hmm. thanks for the vaccine, but this isn't how we want it to be made. So please put more money into research. And um, figuring out if there's another alternative.
0: Yeah, other ethical options, right? I think really supporting and like both financially
3: and you know encouragement-wise, scientists who are invested in this from a pro-life standpoint, and encouraging them to continue research that moves us towards vaccines that don't rely on this, um, and finding ways and pushing science towards finding a way around what we think is a barrier to find a more pro-life way of using this kind of
0: science. Absolutely. And if anybody wants to go into this field and is Christian, should we encourage them to to do the research? Yeah.
2: What else? Well, I was was just going to say that we should encourage just um, the general population to use the alternatives because, like you said, a lot of people don't know about them and um just if more people went with the alternative there's uh, a higher probability that the people making the vaccines would switch to the alternative because that's where the money is
0: that's exactly right and it has worked there's a company that just announced a couple months ago it's sanofi pasteur it's s-a-n-o-f-i and then the next word is pasteur p-a-s-t-e-u-r Anyway, they just announced a couple of months months ago that they are no longer going to be producing vaccines that use aborted fetal tissue as those cell lines. They actually do provide polio vaccines, So, and they have been using the MRC5, but they're going to switch after a year and a half. The vaccines they currently have made are still on the shelf, and they're good for 18 months, but after that, all the stuff that comes out is going to be through monkey cells. Okay, that they're going to use monkey cells for the tests and for the attenuation process. So, yeah, where the money is, definitely. So, we have petition lawmakers and drug companies. You got that. Well done. Ask doctors for God pleasing alternatives. Another option is to vaccinate. Vaccinate is a God pleasing, it can be a very God pleasing activity, right? You are preserving the life of your child, but you can also choose not to vaccinate, right? Not to use vaccines that use fetal cell lines. Even if you choose to vaccinate, one of the things you can do is uphold the right of conscientious objection, which is being challenged in some states. In most states, you can conscientiously object to a vaccine. But California is one that just changed that law after the, the outbreak. New York has changed that law. Washington has changed that law. Oregon uh, was just debating that and it was on the, it was a referendum. That was voted on just last year so more and more states are saying they want to remove that religious exemption so again until those vaccines no longer carry the stigma of being tested on fetal cell lines upholding the right of conscientious objection is a god-pleasing one we don't want anyone to do something against their conscience and then of course you guys mentioned supporting life and educating others
2: The argument that you're putting yourself at risk if you get the vaccination versus the argument that uh, if you don't get the vaccination, you're putting other people at risk. If you make the argument that you're putting yourself at risk, to some extent, I'd say that's a little bit selfish because you know you're also putting other people at risk by not taking it. So you're kind of choosing your own health over other people's if you do believe that it puts you at risk to take it and that that's why you're not getting the vaccine. You're, you're kind of choosing your own health over other people's.
0: So. I think in some cases that's correct. Um, I think there are some instances in which a person is not healthy enough, really, to receive a vaccine. You know, there are some, some very serious health conditions where a vaccine could present in a compromised state a problem. And so sometimes those choices have to be made, you know, even though you would prefer to make the other, right? That's why, you know, I think that the, that it's important that we do have the conscientious objection option for, for those who, or, or even, you know, for medical purposes, for those who really don't want to go against their conscience.
2: Yeah. And, and the people, sorry, the people that I'm referring to are the people who would say aren't in a compromised health state, and there's no like extreme reason to believe that it would affect them. Typically, the people who can't get the vaccines because of a health reason, aren't they the ones that are put at risk when other people don't get vaccines? Am I correct?
0: In some some cases that can be, yeah, and usually they live a lifestyle that's very different from the rest of us as far as more staying at home, more uh, making sure that they are not interacting with large crowds and, and those sorts of things. So, Pastor, do you want to go ahead and mention some facts about COVID-19, and then I'll show um, the two charts that I have to show them? Sure.
1: Yeah. Okay. First off, how many of you know what COVID-19 stands for.
3: Isn't it coronavirus disease and it happened in 2019?
1: Yep, that's exactly exactly how uh, the nomenclature comes for this. So there are all kinds, uh, there are several kinds of human coronavirus types. Now, and I'm not a, a scientist, and I'm not a physician, so please excuse me, I'm a theologian, and this, I'm, I'm waiting in areas that I shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, but coronavirus types are the pathogens, the virus, that are known or named for their crown-like spikes. And you've probably all seen the pictures on TV of the, or on your computers, the, the circular ball of of cell with the spiky, looks like golf tees sticking out of it. Has everybody seen that? Okay. So that is the particular kind of crown-like spikes that are on the surface of the coronaviruses. Um, There are four main subgroupings of coronaviruses. They're known as the alpha, beta, gamma, and delta. And they've been identified uh, affecting uh, human populations since the mid-1960s. Currently, there are uh, seven coronaviruses that can infect people. There are some common ones, 229E, an alpha coronavirus, NL63, also an alpha, OC43, a beta, and HKU1, a beta. But there are also three that are fairly recent that have caused the greatest concern, Uh, obviously the COVID-19. And that is actually coming from the SARS-CoV-2, which they called the novel coronavirus. The term novel means that it's new. It's the first that they've seen of this particular coronavirus. So uh, the new one from 2019 is what we currently are talking about. But we've had two other large outbreaks of coronavirus in the past few years. We've had the The SARS-CoV, it was a beta coronavirus and it caused severe acute respiratory syndrome, hence S-A-R-S, SARS-CoV. And then we also had the MERS-CoV. It also was a beta coronavirus, and it caused Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, M-E-R-S. So those are the seven different types of coronaviruses that are, that are currently uh, have been an effect on uh, the populations around the world. Uh, some of the vaccines that have been produced have been discussed for uh, how to take care of the SARS and the MERS. These were outbreaks that hit pretty hard. The, uh, the particular one, obviously, we know uh, started uh, first identified in Wuhan, China, province of 19 million people and has since spread now to over 200 countries uh, and territories, 7 million infected cases, and at least 300,000 deaths. I think that really covers pretty much the the nomenclature and where it comes from. I guess I would add into our discussion in terms of vaccines, many of the um, respiratory uh, viruses that you deal with Every year, flu, cold, these don't ever have vaccines that are developed. And we're not guaranteed that a vaccine is going to get developed on the COVID-19 disease because it can mutate. And we're not sure at this point whether it will mutate or what will the mutation rates be or what particular areas of the virus could mutate. Um, and so that's where some of this research and, and the, the, um, the length of time going into producing vaccination goes into. We have seen in other influenza viruses, you, you see different numbers. Uh, several of you remember, well, maybe you don't remember, H1N1 was a, a, was a pandemic that hit the United States and other, other countries uh, during the Obama administration, we've seen the uh, the Spanish flu as a particular uh, from back in the 19, early 1900s that hit as a particular strain of influenza virus, and they've never been able to develop vaccines because of these mutations for those particular strains of pathogens, viruses that affect the cells. So we may be in um, some of this same aspect for the coronavirus. We have been successful in some of the others, but again, since this is a novel new coronavirus type, we may not see that. Uh, Still, the jury is out on that. Thank you for listening.
0: One thing just to add in, the vaccines, there are 16, I think, from what I read, possible, and five of them definitely use fetal tissue
1: to create those cell lines. Is that what you found as well? Yes. Um, and here's where um, our rush to develop a vaccine president, our uh, CDC, everybody's throwing money at the manufacturers. And so the manufacturers are going to, to look for the easiest mediums in order to grow these viruses into cells, the easiest ones that they could find. And so they already know that they have some of these cell lines. And in fact, uh, Michelle, I think uh, the new cell lines that you were talking about, H-E-K, that mm-hmm. cell line is uh, one of the ones that I think it's Merck, Uh, that's had a big infusion of money and is working with the government and the CDC to do some of this research and and that's one of the cell lines that they have talked about using uh, because it is so prevalent and easily reproduced in the laboratory already
0: yeah so just be aware right when it comes out ask the questions so the other couple things I wanted to share with you and again I will send this real quick I have a chart that hopefully uh, you guys can kind of see. It is, again, um, from the Children of God for Life uh, website. And it gives you you the list of the disease and then what vaccines we have and whether or not it uses a fetal cell line. It also, which I find very interesting, gives you alternatives. If there are alternatives, okay? So like cystic fibrosis does have an alternative medicine. Um, Hepatitis A does have an alternative medicine. By the way, there are some alternative medicines in Japan right now, vaccines that don't use fetal tissue cell lines that actually do work for measles, mumps, and rubella. And right now, we're just not using that in America because it's illegal to use it from that foreign country at this point. So, you know, again,
1: approved by the FDA.
0: Right. Hasn't been approved. And so like Jesse mentioned, let's petition those people that need to be petitioned so that we can get that approval and we can offer it here. So um, I will send this to you. And again, they stay very up to date on their screen. And then I, I
1: want to correct myself on the uh, coronavirus uh, testing. It was not Merck; it was Johnson and Johnson. The articles and uh, the videos okay. that I've been watching. Johnson and Johnson is a big player in the current development.
0: Thank you. And here's that website I was talking to you about, the Children of God for Life. Um, so this is what it looks like. If you just type in "Children of God," you're going to get some weird things. So. don't do that type in children of God for life okay if you'd like to take a look at that website they have lots of articles any final questions or comments about vaccines yes
3: yeah I'm just wondering is there a cost difference in like I mean I know like typically insurance I think insurance covers vaccines for most people but when you ask for alternatives and stuff is there a price difference
0: Uh, that is a good question and it's one that I have too and I don't know the answer to that so let me get back to you on that
1: I think if you speak to your insurance providers, you could probably get that answer directly from them. If you, most insurance providers these days have like a resource line that you can call in and say what is going to be covered and what is not, and so you can give them from this list um, the alternative uh, options, and they can tell you from a prescription standpoint, are they going to cover this and at what particular range.
0: Perfect. I I would agree. I think you're right, Dr. <laughs> Duncan. That's, that's the only. So it's probably different for everybody. Other questions.
2: So, would our doctor that's like giving us the vaccine have the information on like which cell line they're
0: using? Like how do you know? It should be on the package, so it will it will come with a list of ingredients. And you can ask to see the list of ingredients or you can ask your doctor to show you the list of ingredients. And then if you have that chart handy or pull it up on your phone, I mean, I would hate to think that a doctor wouldn't know which lines would have fetal cells. And yet the vast population, I think for generations has not known that. I mean, I, th- I think I would, I would definitely advocate, uh, make your your position clear. And I would mention it to them before I even came in for those shots. Just say, I'm pro-life um, and th- these are things I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. If I can avoid it, I will. Yeah, Pastor Duncan?
1: There is a page on the FDA's website that also uh, lists every approved vaccine in America that is used and approved by the FDA in America that you can go to that particular vaccine and it has the documents online that you can look through. now. How many of you have read your what do they call it EOLAs from Apple when you download something and it says read all this and you can print it out separate? How many of you read those? <laughs> Most of you don't read it because it's all print and it has lots of paragraphs, and that's exactly what you're going to get into with these documents. You're going to have to read the entire thing before you finally get to the point where it tells you what cell lines that it's using and what um, you know what is the the medium that they grow these cells in, so you're going to have to be willing to read through and look, and that's what COG children of God of Life have done for you in this sense to help you go through and look at each of these vaccines and see where these cell lines they've they've done that research for you.
0: They have yeah, but again, there are alternatives, and you can just request them. Good. any other questions? Okay, I have a question for you then. Next week. I've had a a few of you request personally to talk about the race issues that are happening in America, Um, the social unrest and the rioting. And so next week, what I'd like to do is bring in a pastor who is African American. He serves in the LCMS in Cincinnati, and um, he is actually a board member of Lutherans for Life. And I talked to him today about the possibility of coming and speaking to you, and he is very, very excited to do it. Um, He'd like to talk to you about why he thinks this is happening, what's behind the tension, um, do Black Lives Matter, do all lives matter, how do we address that as a Christian, that sort of thing. And he also would like to talk about the negatives and the positives of what's been happening. So I'm hoping you can come back. But what I really also would like from you are questions, because next week, we're going to do it a little differently. I'm going to create an interview format. So he's going to be here. I will ask him questions and he will answer them and um, if you want to ask questions, um, as the interview kind of winds down, um, he's going to be ready for that as well. But he'd like some questions from you ahead of time so he knows what you want to hear about. So. Um, if you know right off the top of your head, I want this question answered, go ahead and hit the chat at the bottom of your screen and type it up before you leave this meeting. If you're, you need a little time to think, that's fine. Email me, but don't forget um, because otherwise he's just going to answer all the questions that I want answers to. But I would love to know what you guys want to hear. Okay. Does it sound like an interesting topic? I know some of you guys were like, let's, I mean, we, i had planned marriage next week. But I think we'll push it back a week. So thumbs up if this is a go. Yes, I'd like to talk about this. Okay, good. So he's a really very, uh, really easy to talk to, and and very much an advocate for life. So I think you guys will enjoy that. Any questions? Okay. So I see some of you have typed some questions to me. That's great. Uh, if you want to stay and do that, you're welcome to. Otherwise, have a wonderful evening, and thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for joining us for today's life topic. Check out whyforlife.org or email michelle at whyforlife.org to find out how and when you can go live with us at our next Chats for Life session. Or join us next time right here at Why for Life Podcasts, where youth learn how to be gospel-motivated voices for life.